Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, Nick Marzano is back. And this time, he has joined the ranks as an official Tour Divide finisher with a time of 20 days, 9 hours, and 1 minute, which was good enough to secure 22nd place at the 2022 Tour Divide. Now, if the name Nick Marzano rings a bell, that's because Nick was just on the podcast on episode 119. Um, at that time, he was actually in the middle of racing the Tour Divide. I caught up with him at mile 1,250 in Pinedale, Wyoming, which is about halfway through the Tour Divide. And at that point, he was in 24th place. He was struggling with some Achilles problems. He had gotten stuck in the snow and the mud and all of the things. And so on this episode, we are going to catch back up with Nick after finishing. He's been home for about two weeks now. He's had some time to eat all of the food and sleep all of the sleep and get caught up with work and all the things and 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 maybe even process some of uh, what he just accomplished a really unique thing about Nick's story is, one, I think it is important that we also highlight mid-pack racers and even back-of-the-pack racers and front-of-the-pack, everybody. And so maybe it's a little unusual to highlight the 22nd place finisher of the Tour Divide. I think his story and his journey is important. I think it's relevant and will resonate with a large majority of you. What's interesting about Nick is that he didn't even get into cycling until 2020 during the pandemic. And less than two years later, he has gone from getting into cycling to signing up for what is arguably the world's toughest bike endurance race, the Tour Divide, and not just signing up, but absolutely crushing it. I mean, finishing this thing alone is a huge accomplishment coming into it being so new to cycling, it really shows what the human body is capable of and what we are capable of when we put in the time, when we dedicate ourselves to something, something big, and then we throw everything at it. So on today's episode, we are going to talk to Nick. We're going to get into some of his training and see how the rest of his tour divide went but before we get to today's episode, let us take a moment to thank everybody that made today's episode possible, starting with our latest batch of patrons. If you're not aware, Patreon is how you as a listener can support this show. You do get access to the private Facebook group, some patron-only discounts, and the Bikes for Death After Party, which is a patron-only podcast that comes out sporadically and you never know when those are going to drop. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. So let's take a moment to welcome our newest sustaining members of the Bikes or Death podcast, starting with Abe Kaufman. Abe is actually our fourth place Tour Divide finisher this year, and I just missed running into him um, at the end of the Tour Divide and everything. So anyway, Abe, congrats on an amazing run at the Tour Divide this year, and thank you for supporting this podcast. 
And also signing up this week is Daryl Carpenter. Appreciate you guys so much. And again, if you would like to support this podcast, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Today's episode is also brought to us by Athletic Greens. I started using Athletic Greens because I was looking for a solution to balance out all the nasty and the bad food that I'm usually eating when I'm on a bikepacking trip. Um, We all know that we're just subject to whatever food is available on route, and oftentimes it's gas station food and it's not chock full of all the things that your body really needs. And so Athletic Greens has been a great resource for me to help supplement my diet and give my body the fuel and the energy that it needs to go out there and dominate some bikepacking trails. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And Athletic Greens isn't just good for you. They're also a good company. They are climate neutral certified and they purchase carbon credits that support old growth rainforests. And they also have donated over 1.2 million meals to kids just in 2020 alone. So if you're looking to step up your health game and maybe take some veggies on your next bikepacking trip or bikepacking race, check out Athletic Greens. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death. Again, That is Athletic Greens forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right, everybody, let's get into today's episode. I am super excited to have my new friend Nick back on the podcast. Uh, The first 10 minutes or so are just us kind of chatting as we got the mics fired up and everything, but uh, I found out he was a former podcaster. Uh, which explains why he's so uh, comfortable on a microphone. And uh, I told him afterwards that he made my job easy and I really enjoyed talking to him. And uh, that's it. Let's get into today's episode. But first, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Nice to see you. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. We actually get to see each other this time, which is which is kind of nice. I didn't realize that we're about the same age. 
Are you, uh, I just turned 40 in May. You must be around the same. 42. 42. So yeah. I'm, I'm deep into my forties. Oh yeah. Two years in super deep. <laughs> I don't know, man. I didn't feel old until I hit 42. Not in terms of like how I feel on the inside or anything like that. Just like, well, yeah, I started to think, just be more uh, conscious of it. Just very aware that I'm 42 and that feel, it felt old for the first time. Before that, it didn't bother me. Like 40 didn't bother me. Turning 41 didn't bother me. I kind of like blew it off. But then I hit 42 and I was like, oh. Oh no, this feels wrong. <laughs> it's interesting. I remember feeling that way when I hit 35. Um, and most of that was that all my running PRs started going the opposite way. I just, I never got a running PR again. Uh, <laughs> but, and I didn't recover as quickly and all of those sort of things. But uh, yeah, no, I'm already feeling I, 40. I'm aware of like, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not upset about it. I think, I think old, old is going to, gonna look good on me it'll be it'll be uh you know a different sort of era yeah check, now check, i think check. i got it okay it's up here now okay cool yeah why uh why do you have the uh the setup why do you have the microphone and everything uh for about a year i did this podcast called local nation where i used to <laughs> no way yeah i was <laughs> It was half interviews, but I also really, actually, I'm wearing, oddly enough, I'm wearing the shirt of oh, cool. this uh, podcast called Philosophize This, where this guy just sort of breaks yes. down. I know that flop. one. You do? Yeah. He's yes. he's incredible. And so I've listened to that for five, six years. And I was like, I had run a, uh, been president of a, a, a civic organization called Young Involved Philly here for a number of years, volunteered with them. We did civic education, engagement, teaching people about like these obscure, semi-obscure local posts. Um, and then less obscure, but like still unknown things like what does a district attorney do? What do they look like across the country? And I was like, man, is there a way to study the history of those sort of things and then break it down for people in 15 to 20 minutes in a way that's applicable to all like 3000 plus counties and localities across the nation. And so I did that for a little bit and it turns out there's not a strong listenership for that. And it, it also, <laughs> it just like, it took so much time. I did really nerdy research. I would go back through the archives and like read about what these things look like in the colonial period and try to take people in 15 minutes, like all the way up. And it was a lot of fun, but it was a ton of work. And I was like spending money on Facebook trying to get it promoted. And it's just like, there's not a real commercial opportunity to work with partners necessarily who are going to get that out there. At a certain point, I was like, this is a lot of fun, but maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll step back from it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of work uh, behind the scenes that I certainly didn't account for it all whenever I was, you know, had this idea of, of getting into podcasting. When, when you did your podcast, was it just a passion project or did you approach it with the hope that one day you would, you know, potentially monetize it or, or have it be like a stream of in income? That, well, that was the thing. It was such a public good that 
not that, I mean, bikes or death is a public good. It's like helped me. That's taught me so much. Right. So I don't, it's, but it, it was such a, a public good that I couldn't figure out like even more than philosophize this, which is a, it's educational. Right. But like, how do I monetize teaching people about civic responsibility? It just felt like I, I couldn't quite, it was always a passion project to, you know, yeah, in short, okay. I was like, this is something I can do. And if it builds an audience sort of naturally great, I mean, I spent some money on, you know, digital marketing for it and, and had a logo and had like, tried to, to build up some conversation, but I didn't, I probably didn't put my teeth in to sink my teeth into it the way that, that I should have. Well, one, the passion has to be there and it can, it can be hard to have the passion. The reason I've been able to keep the passion is because there's so many listeners and I get to share in their passion, you know? And so I think in the absence of that, it's hard to find that internal self-motivation, you know, like I, I kid myself at the beginning, like I was like, man, if I could have a hundred people that would listen, that would be wonderful. And, you know, those would be like my hundred people and I would put out a podcast for them, which is very altruistic. But I think after two years of those hundred people, I'd be like, oh, I don't know. But um, I think feeding off of everybody else's energy, it, it helps, you know, it's like, it's probably like when you're on the tour divide and you get, you know, you're like lonely at 3am and someone sends you a message like, man, I'm watching your dot. And it just gives you like a little extra push maybe, you know? Totally. Yeah. And that happened. At, there were a couple of friends, uh, who like, I couldn't believe three weeks in, you know, or two and a half weeks in or whatever, they, they would send me a little note. I was like, you're still watching. That means so much. And it would give me a little boost uh, because I knew people were counting on me back there. It's crazy. But you know, in those moments that, that little thing could bring you to tears. I mean, that can be an emotional, uh, experience, just that in itself. For sure. Yeah. Have you had those emotional experience? I'm sure you have with bikes or death, like just in the, in the course of the podcast, hearing from people who are you know, who have been impacted in real ways by, uh, by the content that you're putting out there. Dude. Um, man, that's a good question. One that no one's ever asked me. Um, it's, it's, it's like humbling and, and empowering in a way that I, I couldn't, yeah, like a lot, a lot of people, I get messages on a daily basis, um, from people like all over the world who are sharing, I mean, even you, like, you know, I mean, whether we're having a conversation and somebody says, you know, I was listening to your podcast and, you know, and, and I, I hope that it's mostly about the guest and people are like, man, that guest, that person was really able to elevate me or entertain me or whatever it was. And I had another friend I was talking to today or yesterday that told me, um, that they were having a conversation with another friend about, you know, a topic that came up on the podcast and, you know, those little like ripples that go out and that I have no, I know there's a lot of them and I get to hear some of them, you know, and yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, I feel very, very lucky and I don't, I don't quite like understand it. And I, I just go with the flow, I guess, you know, the biggest thing, man, is like really trying to 100% stay true to me, like get better, continue, like want to be a better conversationalist, want to be a better, you know, storyteller or like learn how to elevate people's stories in a better way. But also, you know, st try to stay true to whatever people like about the show, you know, which is I didn't have a plan when I went in. I'm still winging it, you know, and I don't know. I guess maybe that's part of the appealing part is that the reality is like life 
is a process. We're always on a process of getting better and learning ourselves and learning how to operate in the world or whatever it is. And I'm like, here, I'll show you all my behind the scenes stuff too. You know, I, I mean, yeah, your, your guest mix is incredible and they, they tell great stories. I think that sort of, that sort of vulnerability and the fact that you are present in the podcast and that you are present, not as like a personality, but as just like, you're, you're just, you're bringing yourself to the podcast. Like it comes through just, I know we've only met twice, but it definitely comes through and I appreciate it a lot. I think it makes it, that's what makes this medium a lot more approachable. It's what makes the conversations, I think a lot more um, appealing than, than sort of sound bites. And, but particularly like, it's definitely, you know, your guests are a huge, portion of it. And it's really cool that you have such a a mix of, um, you know, folks who are doing huge things. And then I, I feel like the most overexposed 22nd place finisher to be able to talk to you. (laughs) 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 But like, but it's also, it's also you and your, you know, your, your journey that you share. So I, I appreciate that. No, man, I, I, yeah. Thank you. It's a weird mix. I'm still, it's always a balance that I'm working on is like, um, cause I mean, I can only relate to guests through my own experiences. So that's how I relate to the world. That's how I, you know, so obviously my perspectives and stuff are going to be like a part of it. And, um, I am seeking like more authentic conversations, a little bit more off the cuff, a little bit more natural. And so, because anyway, my point is, is that I'm always like trying to balance because my ultimate goal is to always elevate my guests. Like that is their episode, that this is their opportunity to be on the podcast and tell their story. And for for the listeners to get to hear a new perspective, like they've heard mine, you know, probably maybe a few different times or whatever. And so, you know, ultimately like, I'm always like learning how to, how to do that better. And, and one of the things that I've always strived to do and, and and your episode has been a good reminder of this is is to not only focus on the pointy end of the race but to also like tell you know either mid-pack stories or lantern rouge stories or you know people who are older but are still doing it or people who are doing it in a unique way or what you know but like but show the spectrum of, of ways to really like put your shit on your bike and go outdoors. I mean, that's essentially what my ultimate goal is. And whenever, and I was going to have you back on the podcast, regardless of what people said, but I, just for fun to like tease the episode, you know, I put it on social media. I was like, who, who'd like to see uh, Nick come back on the, on the show. And we actually got, I only posted one screenshot, but there was like I probably could have screenshotted four pages of people who were like, had positive things to say. <laughs> That's and, good because I knew, I knew two or three of the people on that first oh, screenshot. You did? I was like, Oh no, is it just my friends and uh, family who responded? <laughs> That's so funny. No, I should send them to you. Um, and, and one of the, um, one of the constant themes that people said, and one of the things that like just was a common theme was, um, was the appreciation of like more of a mid pack perspective. It was a good reminder that not only is that important to me, but my listenership values that those perspectives too. Like those are important. And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about your perspective coming in the tour divide. Um, and, and what is it like to train and get ready and have a job and manage your own like life 
not be a sponsored athlete and and take on like legitimately it's got to be like one of the toughest things you've ever done in your entire life you know easily so um in preparation for this episode i uh, i was kind of in the moment the first time we chatted and i didn't really go back and like look at your history i kind of wanted to just like talk about right now you know like what's going on what are you experiencing but I went back and I kind of looked at your history and I, I saw that, um, you know, in November of last year, you essentially had had wrecked on a bike in some way and you were injured and you were hobbling around your house and you had uh, gone through a divorce and were, you know, down, depressed, in a funk, whatever. And um, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, uh, kind of to paint a picture of like where you were at in, at, at your life in that time and, and, and maybe like how you, how you worked your way out of it and how you use the tour divide as like a carrot. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a time when I really needed a goal and a, a big ambitious goal was even, even better. And the, the timing, frankly, you know, that I had seven or eight months, uh, to do it was, was good as well. I mean, where, where I was at, you, you summed, a lot of it up. I can, I can add some color to it. Uh, but that, that was it. I mean, yeah. I had, uh, in, in August, um, my, my wife and I had had talked and I had, you know, asked for, for a divorce and it was the culmination of a lot of work that, you know, we had both put into, uh, trying to see what was, what was possible. You know, I, I don't want to get too deep no. into it, but it was, it was a really, it's a really difficult decision to walk away from a commitment that is supposed to be lifelong. And, and that I didn't take lightly. I, you know, and, but as soon as you make that decision, it, it, it sounds like you take it lightly and it sounds like, like you gave up. Um, and, and yet, you know, I knew, or at least I knew that the, in my heart that it was, it was the right thing. And, and that, that was, um, something that I had, that I had to do to get back to a place where I, I could be happy. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it there unless you have more specific questions. But. No, no, no. Well, I mean, the, the reason why that resonates with me is cause I, I went through a divorce in 2020 and like, and, and that was a, a scenario where again, I like you, I felt like this is an important step to my own happiness. Doesn't make it easy. It's extremely difficult, um, to do that. And even though, you know, it's the right thing to do, um, you still have to like pick up the pieces. Like, even though like in your mind, you're like, yes, I feel good about this on a lot of levels. Logically, this makes sense. I, you know, in the long run, yes, but you still got to like pick up the pieces and like relearn how to live your life. And, and it's like just me and you have to prioritize yourself again and, and like learn what that's like. And I assume you were kind of like in a similar spot. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and then, you know, one of the things I hadn't really found cycling until 2020. Uh, so right around the time you were going through your experience, I was, I was coming into cycling and maybe, maybe to bikes or death, for the first time, um, middle of, you know, middle of the summer of, of our first COVID summer. Um, and you know, my wife at the time was, she was, my partner was very supportive of, of that. She was supportive of, of long rides and, and that was not, you know, well, I think, I think it was a healthy escape or way to decompress from some of the stress at, at the house for sure. It was not, um, 
something that became a wedge uh, or anything like that. If, if your listeners are are wondering, um, <laughs> it wasn't the plus one bike that. No, it wasn't the. It wasn't the uh, one more bike, really. Well, it's me or the bikes. No, it wasn't. It didn't come down to that. Thank goodness. Uh, no, uh, but you know, I I had quickly gone from gravel and I tried a gravel race and it was, it was, um, you know, I, I'm not an adrenaline junkie and gravel is probably better for non-adrenaline junkies than maybe mountain biking, but it, it's still, you know, I had a couple of close calls on my first race. It's like, all right, I might do that again, but I don't think this is the the regular thing for me. And then I found bike packing where 10 miles an hour, uh, is, is pretty fast. As long as you can do it for 16 hours a day or 14 hours a day. And I was like, great, the long grind and you get to travel and see places that that sounds like it's for me. Um, so, so like when your, your friends are the ones that like put the tour divide on your radar is my understanding. Yeah. But like, were you, I, I guess I, I don't know if I remember us talking about that or, or if we did, or if I forgot, but I, for, I didn't realize that you got into cycling in 2020. Um, so I'm wondering if like the tour divide was even on your radar when your friends like brought up this crazy idea. It was by then. Yeah. And I'm, I didn't, for, you know, I'm sorry. I'm taking the long route back to where I wrecked my face and oh, no. <laughs> take, take the long route. <laughs> but like, you know, as soon as that, I got that idea into my head, I did one or two short overnighters to test it out. I sort of like added challenges quickly, but slowly over time where every next bike packing trip I would do, I would add a little bit more. So I did like a 450 mile tour to meet up with friends at the finger lakes. And then I, and I immediately went way too far and emailed Nelson trees to see if in like fall of 2021, if he would let me into the, the rescheduled Atlas mountain race, he did. And thankfully it was rescheduled and canceled because I, was, I would have been way in over my head. That would have been my very first bike packing race. Wow. Uh, and instead I found an equally like almost, I will see I'm doing the Atlas mountain race next February, but a very difficult, equivalent in Virginia, uh, called the trans VA 550, which my friend, David land now friend, David Landis, uh, designed and, and supports. He's the, um, the route he's a trail designer. And that's where I met this whole community of, of bike packers in Virginia. There's one guy up in Philly, Tim, who I rode with, um, for a bit. And, um, so they, they were really, it was, you know, they've been really great in, they've been training companions, training buddies. We we've been able to talk, you know, tour divide, uh, gear and, and geek out and, and share what we're nervous about. And, um, you know, they've been a great, a great group, uh, of, of guys. Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, how did you get turned on to like bikepacking so quickly? Cause I, I would assume, you know, with like friend group, you would have like, I don't, I don't know. It seems the kid, like the bike packing is kind of like on the more extreme end of, you know, usually people like, I don't know, they might get a road bike or they start with a fixie or a commuter around town and they're like, Oh wait, there's gravel or there's mountain bike trails. And, but it's, it sounds like you like got into cycling and kind of were almost immediately aware of bike packing and then already yeah. kind of pushing, pushing it. I mean, within four months, I had my like seat pack for sure within three months and was doing like overnighters and, and hadn't had done, you know, I hadn't done a 
a century ride until fall of 2020, I think after I got my bike and, and then I immediately I was like, I wonder if I could string those together. That'd be fun. Um, but it was, it was YouTube probably it was I, definitely, I mean, it was things like watching and we could get into the effective media on the mid pack. I had some good conversations with Kirsten at, uh, who happened to be at, at brush mountain lodge when I got there, like a day or two after we, we spoke last. Um, yeah, but you know, so many people it, out there this year, it was watching, uh, you know, Lale's just, uh, I just want to ride. It was watching the Atlas mountain race into the rift. Um, and you know, who can, who can, who can deny the romanticism of people who are, who are just struggling up a mountain and saying, I don't know if this is fun, but it's beautiful. Like, that <laughs> sounds great. Um, it just, struck all the right notes. Uh, that's the sort of athleticism that I'm, that I'm into. I'm, I'm much more about sort of the long grind than screaming downhills and, and adrenaline. So I don't know, it just, it struck all the right notes. And it was probably the time in my life where I was looking, I mean, it was the time in all our lives too, right? COVID we're looking for escapes. We're looking for escapes that don't require getting on a plane with people. Um, I think it's part of the reason why it's probably, it's been around bikepacking has been around for a while as I've come to learn, but it seems like it's been having a moment for sure. I don't know if you would agree. Um, well, yeah, I think I'm riding the wave of the, of the, <laughs> the movement that's happening. I really, I mean, you want to talk about right time, right place. It feels like I started the podcast and then it just kind of like tidal wave from there, uh, in some respects. So, you know, Steve Jobs was in the right time in the right place too. So, you know, there's that uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about it. Um, the tipping point. Have you read that one? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And how essentially just, you know, timing is kind of everything. I mean, you do have to have the skill sets and the determination, the work, like all the things, but you got to have the timing. It's funny that, um, you know, I think I knew it was having a moment, even though I'm relatively new to it as well, you know, starting in 20, late 2020, when a couple of <laughs> my, my uh, ex-partner and I had, had built like a, a van, right? And there, there was like a huge craze of the, the, uh, the van lifers for a while. And when I started to see one or two van lifer accounts that I had forgot to unfollow or whatever, like now they're starting to bike pack in 2022. And I was like, oh yes, it's, it's definitely having a moment now that the van lifers have found it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't even know that. Um, all right. I'm feeling chatty today and I got to go pick up my kid in a little while. So let's get to it. One of the things that uh, whenever I said you're come back on that people were interested in was more about your training. So without giving away all of Kurt Ref Snyder's secrets, what was your training like for the Tour Divide? You sign up, you're like, I'm going to do it. What's What was your training like? Yeah, so I am just, um, I had gone on a, a bike packing trip in November with a bunch of those Virginia guys after the after the Trans VA race. It was like a cold weather trip and I crashed and split my lip uh, and worse than the than the lip that had like eight stitches in it. I couldn't walk. I had hit my knee pretty hard. No permanent damage, nothing, nothing broken or torn. So as I'm coming off crutches, I'm getting set for this, this event. And I was, I mean, I was definitely the most depressed I've been in a long time. And I, and I was self-aware of it. And the way that I described it is like none of the, the flywheel wasn't spinning. I could sort of talk a good game about 
what I'm excited about or what I think I'll be excited about or should get excited about. There was a new business that I was talking to a friend about starting that, that we've since started that I, I was like, we should start setting those goals, but I wasn't excited about it. I was, you know, uh, the, the tour divide, I was excited about the idea of it, but I was not feeling motivated at all. The flywheel just wasn't going. Um, so what you I know, did, the analogy you should use is free hub. Alluding yeah, yeah. to future was an engaging, but anyway, <laughs> no, that's, that's a, that's a good call. I need to get out of engineer mindset into, into, uh, <laughs> the bike, bike mindset. Uh, yeah. Like, so I got, I got Kurt Ref Schneider's plan. I committed to it. Like that, that was the first thing I knew I needed to commit to something big. And the tour divide was awesome. As soon as David reached out on our little like Facebook messenger group, like who's in, I talked to my my boss at work and said, Hey, I've been here 10 years. I've got the vacation time. I've never taken it. Nobody's really taken four weeks together. Um, but I'd really like to do this. And they were completely supportive, uh, which was great. So I'm, you know, I'm very privileged, lucky to have that support. So I did all of the things that I knew I had to do to get myself to a point where I wasn't depressed at some point, but I was, um, it was probably like, and then I, and then I got Kurt Refschneider's plan as you, as you mentioned, and I do really well with, um, just setting a calendar of workouts that I have to do. And then waking up in the morning. And when I was running, it was like, just lace up your shoes with biking. There are a couple more steps involved, but it's, you know, I got a trainer, um, and a Zwift account because it was cold and there were, there was salt all over the roads here. And I didn't know how my bike would you know, respond to that. I was a little sketched out about that, uh, in Philly. So well, plus like, I mean, being from Texas, nobody knows how to drive on ice. The idea of <laughs> being on a road with vehicles that may not have great control either just sounds terrible. It's, I mean, that's, that's driving in Philly on a good day, honestly. Okay, well. but, but, uh, yeah, I said, expo- experiencing like extreme global warming down here. It's been like, I don't even know. It's like a hunt over Man. 110. Uh, it feels like every day. It's insane. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I saw. Well, I mean, we could we could talk about. I mean, the Tour Divide and whether there will ever be a clean run again. I mean, late. You know, the amount of moisture in the air alone was really evident this year, and and I, I yeah. think it's going to be between well, that and wildfires. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's worth at least touching on. It is a real factor. Uh, I'm sure you saw the New York Times article that came out about, uh, did you see that? The one that about how yeah. the weather um, has is impacting the Tour Divide. I met that reporter. She was at the end of the Tour Divide. She was there to interview Sophie on. And then she came to the bike ranch over at Jeffrey's house and chatted with her that night at like three o'clock in the morning and um, and the whole, the whole deal. And she told me that she was, she had been working on that article for three years. It took three years because of COVID. That was like the first year when she had the idea and like started working on it. And then I don't know, but, um, but yeah, that was a a long-term project, but yeah, it's a, it's a real factor. And it's something that, you know, we talked about with Sofian and if he were to do like an ITT, it would be, you know, later on, um, to avoid the, um, the weather window. But the interesting thing about the weather window is because there's so many people with a, a gap in the a range and the speed, it, it requires it to kind of start a little bit earlier, which exposes you to more weather on that end. So it's really a, a kind of a puzzle that I'm glad I don't have to solve, but it's a problem. For sure. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem for, for more than the, than the tour. Right. But, uh, it's, True. Uh, it's very evident. I mean, the tour is a, is a, you know, it's a visceral experience. It felt like of, of global warming for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so anyhow, that, that, that was basically it in terms of training. I, I locked in that plan and it wasn't until the end of January where I was, I would get up in the morning before work. We were working from home again, privilege, but, uh, I would jump on the trainer for an hour, two hours, whatever Kurt told me to do. I do really well. I do probably better reading a, a plan off of paper and, and making myself do it because I just do it and don't think about it, whether I want to or not rather than having a coach tell me to like, do it a little bit harder. <laughs> um, although I I'm, I'm thinking about, I need to, that's, that's a place where I need to break through and improve if I, if I want to get better, I think. Um, so it was, it was like Jan, the end of January where I actually started to feel excited. Like I, like the, the flywheel started or the free hub started catching and, <laughs> and, uh, I started to feel excited about that. Started to feel excited about this new business um, and just, oh, you know how things go. It's a domino effect. Everything else sort of improves around that. Um, so, but it was really, how it got me through that, having that goal and a plan got me through that time because that's just something I could strap in and, and not think about it and know that I'm doing something better for myself ultimately than what I would probably be doing otherwise, which is sitting down in front of like the PlayStation or, or, you know, the TV, you know, the good thing about, uh, bike packing and everything is it forces you to like sit with yourself and deal with all that stuff. But it also at the same time gives you like a positive outlet for yourself and you're getting endorphins and you're getting vitamin D if, as long as you're not on the trainer and all the things. And so it's a, it's great, man. It's the, I mean, people talk about it being a, a mental health machine and that's exactly what it is for people who are willing to give it a shot. I mean, why are all cyclists happy? We're pretty, by and large, a pretty happy, easygoing bunch of people, right? You don't see a lot of ragers riding bikes. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for road cyclists because I don't hang out with them that much, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think that's totally true. I, you know, one of the things I learned, too, when I signed up for the Atlas Mountain Race way too early uh, and then it got canceled for COVID is that I had, we need to be careful with, or at least I need to be careful with, with when you're going through something tough, setting a goal is good, but uh, you can also displace meaning. And so if you're setting that goal to try to work through a deal, deal with something, just right, like I could have, I could have gotten COVID before the tour divide and it wouldn't have happened. Like a lot of things had to work out for me to get there. And if, if you, pin too much of your happiness on that next goal, as opposed to just remembering that the act of setting a goal and working toward it is the important thing and, and giving your, your all to it. And if it goes away, you just, you set another one, you deal with, you grieve a little bit for it, but you know, if you displace that meeting too much and you're, you're leaning on that to get you through that time, it can be kind of a, a bummer when a global pandemic sweeps in and canceled it, cancels it or, or knocks you on your butt. So um, that's something I, have, have thought about a lot in, in working through this, having a couple of different goals in different areas of your life as well, uh, can be really, don't really have all helpful. your eggs in, in one basket. I yeah. want to circle around back to that 
whenever we get into your free hub later on, but I don't want to, because it's too tempting to take that segue. Um, but, but real quick with your training, like what, was it only cycling? Were you running? Were you doing, were you, did you, was it a diet? Uh, were you doing like any strength training or mental training or any, anything else? I guess the, the only mental training was that as soon, and I, I could have been out on the bike a lot earlier. I think if I were, uh, you know, one of the, one of these pros out there, I would have been out in the winter a little earlier and I probably will be in the future, but, uh, it was, you know, exposure training when it was raining, when it was cold out. Uh, and that helped, I'd be out in like 40 degree weather, 40 degree rain on the tour divide. And I would think this is exactly like that time. Like this feels exactly like that time that I went out for a full day in Philly in March when it was pouring in like 38 degrees. Um, but apart from that, I, I did start to, uh, do some running in between. Um, I had, and there's not a whole lot of talk about this, so I'm going to broach it, but like, we don't need to go down it. I had some like men's health issues that cropped up from sitting on the trainer for six days a week, seven, sometimes seven days a week that freaked me out a little bit. And I had to jump off the trainer, figure it, talk to my doctor, figure out what was happening. And that's when I started uh, both biking outside helped. I think a lot of it is like just the temperature. If you don't have a great fan, um, so biking outside, getting a better bike fit and, and throwing some running in there, uh, and standing, standing up on your trainer too, relieving. Yeah. yeah, that's, I had a carbon bike on my trainer. And so I was nervous about torquing it by standing up. It's probably fine, but, um, that's exactly right. I was like pinned to the seat for sometimes eight hours. You know, David and I did one or two century rides where we would just call each other and chat through it on Swift <laughs> and be pinned to the trainer for like six and a half, seven hours doing a century ride. Yeah. So you train for the tour divide by riding your bike mostly as much as you could. Um, running, you know, uh, that's um, Jacob Lose is the one who pointed that out on the podcast about um, the importance of like, you know, mixing running into your training because you're inevitably going to be hiking a bike through snow or mud or up a mountain or whatever. And, you know, you were, you actually, uh, you were having issues with your Achilles heel last time we, we chatted. So, um, you know, that's one of those things where mixing up different and doing some cross training, uh, it, there's a lot of validity there. You know, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit more lately is like, being more well-rounded. I know the podcast is called bikes or death, but <laughs> maybe this is a crazy idea. This is crazy, but maybe every once in a while we should do something else too. I don't know. You Well, there's a great book called the midlife cyclist that the other podcast, like the, the, the gravel ride podcast, uh, turned me on to, um, they had a great, Craig had a great interview with the author, uh, maybe a year ago or so. And, there is a point made in that where like for anybody who's in there, I think he, he like considers midlife fifties, but my grandpa died in his mid eighties. So I'm, I'm midlife at this point at 40, uh, yeah. um, just for bone density sake, because cycling has so little impact. It's really important to build in running or something that, um, puts some stress on your bones so that you don't lose. Uh, if you're just doing cycling, apparently, and I'm again, this is all secondhand through this book, but which I did <laughs> read, I didn't just listen to the interview, but it can, it can be bad for bone density. So I do try to, to keep it mixed in for a couple of reasons. 
That's really interesting. I might, it's funny you brought up that because I have that book on my shelf. The author sent it or the publishing company sent it to me and requested an interview. But I get, I mean, I got 20 books on my shelf from people who, I don't know. So, um, but that, that actually, I, I responded to him. I told him, I'm like, this, this uh, actually sounds interesting, like this topic, because I'm middle-aged. I'm with you. My, my dad died at 57. I'm like, I got one foot in the grave, you know, like, so, uh, not really people listening. Um, I'm hoping to have a long life, but circling back to what we were talking about, like at 42, I'm now becoming much more aware of dude, like having to do things I didn't have to do like strength training. And, you know, like I, I work out six or seven days a week now with, with something I'm either hitting a, hitting a punching bag. I'm doing the exercise machine, the rower, kettlebells, weightlifting. I do all kinds of shit. Like, and I feel like I'm at the age where like, I need to do that. And my diet is completely different. And I stop drink. I like cut my drinking in half. And it's like, because I want to live for, you know, a while and my body isn't happy if I don't do all of the things apparently. That's just me though. <laughs> it, no, it is more, it's a lot more work. And for the audio listeners who have not seen Patrick before, I can confirm he is, he's looking fit and does not have one foot in the grave. He is looking very healthy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Dude, I let it do during COVID. It got bad. I mean, the divorce, COVID, all in the same year, managing like, you know, two kids through that process and trying to keep the podcast going and also another career and like get divorced. I mean, I fucking, I got, I got in a bad place and like, yeah, I've spent, you know, I finally got to a point where, you know, I just was like, okay, no more excuses. Like what you posted on Instagram is like, you just have to do it. And that's exactly the answer. Like, yeah, I got problems. You got problems. I'm old, you're old or whatever. I mean, it's like, you just, like all those are just excuses. And I, I just stopped uh, accepting those excuses essentially. And yeah, I've lost like 10 pounds and feeling good, man. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that is, uh, that's really awesome. Uh, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of what this, what you learn from, from if you, if you do this for sport or, you know, I get, if you're touring, it's a little different. If you don't feel like riding that day, you can take the day off. But if you're, if you're racing, especially it's like, you can't wait to feel good. You just got to get on your bike and do the thing that you know that you need to do. And remember, also remember, it's not just about like admonishing myself or, you know, like, you know, go embrace the suck. I don't, I'd like that whole military, uh, sort of like aggro, like that can get you through parts of it, but it's not, that's not the side of it I identify with, but I do identify with where that comes from, which is like, you just got to get out there and do the thing, you know, you need to do, because it's going to, this is, this is a part that feels bad. And to get to a part that feels good, you can either wait for it or you can ride through the bad and, and the good part will, will come a, a few miles down the road. Like just know that like everything changes and that where you're at right now doesn't have to be where you are. I mean, this is, this is how I felt in December last year. I knew that I felt awful and I knew that I'd get to a point where I didn't feel awful, but I didn't know when that point would come. I just knew I had to like keep getting on my bike until, until I got there. Yeah. Well, it speaks to what you were saying about your goals and, um, you have to be like, that's, that's the thing is like, you're going to experience like little failures along the way and, and that's life. And you kind of have to, I think, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace, but like 
just keep that bigger goal in mind and ultimately you know work for that like every single day like work for that that bigger goal and uh yeah eventually you'll be a super successful tour divide finisher just like nick <laughs> and, and i i want to say like that like i don't know what clinical depression i'm using this term really loosely so for people who are like what you, you think I can just get myself out of this. I know that clinical depression is a very different thing. And, and that like, it is not as simple as like willing yourself out of it. Um, I think whatever I was going through, I knew that there was, there was a light at the end of that tunnel. Um, and that looks different than, you know, someone who may, who may need different support may need to take different steps to get there. So I don't, I don't mean to put on like a heroic face, like anybody can pull their self, themselves up by their bootstraps, um, sometimes you need help. You need friends. You need people who, who are going to help you along that way as well. And you know, I had, I had those two. Yeah, exactly. Back. To, that's what I was going to say is like, yeah, we also like, we all need all of those things at different yeah. times in our life, you know? And so, so, and I had, I had this support too, but that's where if anybody knows it's professionals and not a couple of yokels talking on this podcast, <laughs> but like they're, you know, that that's, that's an important point. Oh, I know. I wanted to ask you this question. So you've been back from the Tour Divide for, I think, like back home for two weeks. I think the obvious question is, how do you feel? But I think my question is not how do you feel physically, but what is it like to ride your bike and only be responsible for riding your bike and getting to the next town, the resupply point, and, and being completely lost in the woods and that experience? And then having to acclimate back to real world, and how is that going? Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I had something more profound to say about that. It, it hasn't been. It, it's definitely an adjustment, right? Uh, because of all the all the things you said, you really it's hard, but but it's also the constraints on it are are only yourself. You only need to worry about yourself, um, and so you know, adjusting back into, into work had to happen pretty quickly because I had to come into work maybe five days after I finished, uh, the, the Tuesday after July 4th, uh, which would have been the fifth, I guess. Uh, I was, I was back into work and it was kind of like, I, you know, I never left. It, it was, it was pretty natural. I have a great workplace that is not, you know, I'm not working 60 hours a week to begin with. Uh, so, uh, you know, I do what I do well. And then, I had time to recover as well, which is great because, you know, I mean, mentally that was, the adjustment was pretty easy. Um, I was ready to be done. I think after three weeks, I was ready to be back in the real world, back with my friends, back with my coworkers, uh, ready to be back on a routine that was maybe a little healthier for myself, uh, on a diet that was a little healthier for myself. Although anytime I pass a dollar general or a gas station, I, I sort of like get nostalgic and look longingly at it. <laughs> like <laughs> that's where I go for my Snickers. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, physically I was, and this is, I think what you'll hear from anybody who finishes it. I was just eating ravenously for the next week. I was sleeping 10 hours a night. Um, and that wrapped up, like I started to feel a hundred percent probably like early last week. So like a week and a half, 10 days after, after the race. Um, but it's been, it's been natural. It was like, it's a long race. And by the end of it, I was, I was ready to be home. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's an honest answer, man. I mean, even after a long vacation or something, you're like, or even a short bike trip, you're like, oh man, my bed feels so good. And I like routine. Like I have, you know, my routine and I, I like it. 
Um, so that certainly makes sense. But what about like the lack of um, that goal, you know, because you did use it as a huge motivating factor to train and, and it was a big part of your your life. I mean, the training and getting ready and preparing and mentally and everything. So did, does it not feel weird to like not have that same thing to, to be shooting for? So, yeah, sort of. There's, uh, I mean, I had set myself up to where my business partner on this, this new, new venture that I'm working on, it's sort of a side hustle. We had, we had done, we had a bunch of like half year goals and then we told everybody we were taking a one month pause. And so we have goals that we're resuming now. So that was, I was excited to come back and get back into that. And that's, that's sweet, uh, to be, to be back, back into, um, I also have uh, the rescheduled like three times now uh, Atlas Mountain Race, and and uh, I'm going to do that in February. Um, Nelson Trees offered me, you know, the chance to do it this October or in February. He's going to run it twice because he's had to cancel it so often. As long you know, as long as Morocco stays open, and I figured after taking a month off work, it's probably better to do it uh, a little a little later. So that's another goal that I'm looking forward to, and I think that's what that's what helps, you know, in between, I need something in the fall, but I'm feeling kind of, if the tour divide got me into anything, it got me into feeling like I need like a fast touring sort of situation where I can enjoy myself a little, still push somewhat big days, but uh, not have to worry about the grind of time management where you're just worrying about how much time you're wasting at the gas station or worried about how quickly you can get your stuff set up for next, uh, for tomorrow and where you should be going tomorrow. Um, I'm kind of feeling like enjoying my bike and in a different way this fall before I have to go back and, you know, grind out hopefully longer. My, I'm going to try to really put in a big effort at Atlas, Atlas mountain race. Um, I didn't really do any overnights at tour divide. I thought I would at some point, it just never really worked out where I felt good enough and felt like it would be, like I knew where I would sleep afterwards or that it would be strategically like make sense. Um, but I'm looking forward to doing that in February. Um, but probably not before. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an awesome goal. And I'm excited to, uh, see you take that on and see, see how you do. Um, so let's uh, jump back into where we left off. Cause we left off when you were in Pinedale, Wyoming, uh, you were 1250 something miles in and you were going to bed, uh, deciding whether or not you were going to wake up and, and race or sleep in and go at a little bit slower pace. So, uh, yeah. What did you decide? What happened? You ate your pizza that probably was cold by the time we stopped chatting. <laughs> what happened? Well, I, yeah, I heard, I heard at the end of the last, uh, episode or the, the episode I was on, uh, he said, I guess Nick woke up and decided to race. Um, yeah, and so it looked like it. Yeah. Got up nice and early and put in, posted 182 miles that next day. Um, and it felt good. Posted a couple of big days after that had a couple of, you know, one, definitely a, a bunch of 150 plus a uh, couple, I think one or two over 200, um, and felt, felt pretty good about it. Uh, that was definitely, a that was the low point. That was like the nadir of the entire race. And then there were, there were hard parts after that, but, uh, it was, 
you know, the terrain gets a little easier too. There was because of the reroutes, there were, there were some fast days where you might have a hard hundred miles, but you can put in like a six hour, hundred miles or six and a half hour century before it. Um, which is cool. It was cool to just post some big numbers. So why, why did you decide uh, to go at race pace? Was it because you got interviewed on a podcast and media influence? <laughs> you were like, I know people are going to be watching. I know that the dot watchers are going to be out there. And so now I'm motivated to uh, race. Is that what happened? Oh, no. Does this disqualify me? Is that considered support? I'm trying uh, to get you disqualified right it? now. <laughs> I think, I mean, Just I kidding, think that's, obviously. I think, uh, no, honestly, I think that that's got to be part of it, right? Like you've, like, wow, I wonder this comes out and I've got an audience and I don't want to be hanging out in Pinedale in front of whoever decides to check on me after they listen to Patrick's interview. Like <laughs> that's part of it, but it's also picturing my, you know, I had a good, that was a really short day coming into Pinedale. I had a fun night hanging out with David, hanging out with Ethan, um, chatting with you, just like I had not stopped before sunset really at all. I don't think, um, I, somebody could fact check me on that on my Strava, <laughs> but you know, it, that was rare and and definitely not by like six 30 or so to get like a full resupply, to have like a good dinner. Um, I'd love to try tour divide again and know that that sort of feeling was coming and, and push through it and not have to take that time. Um, but it was the right thing to do. And it, it also felt like, okay, I had had that much rest how much, like, what would I do in with another day in Pinedale? What am, what am I going to do if I hang out here? I'm going to drink a couple of beers. I'm going to at some point feel really antsy. And so I did what we were talking about earlier, where I just got up and before I could second guess myself, just got on the bike with, you know, and left with David around four 30 in the morning, whatever it was. Oh, wow. That was the yeah. right, it was the right move for sure. Yeah. Well, you went from, it was kind of not funny, but I mean, like it was kind of cool because I think I had brought up that your your profile said 19 days and then you were like, well, now I'm kind of embarrassed by that. It's probably going to be like 25. And then you finished in, you know, 20 days and nine hours. So like pretty damn good. And you had a major mechanical like at the whole time. So um yeah, do you want to talk about the mechanical? I, I want to hear this story um, because I'm watching your dot. I, I, you know, I, no offense, I didn't follow you on Instagram before we chatted. And so I hadn't been following your dot. But afterwards, I was like, yeah, dude, let's see how Nick is. I was a dot watcher after that. So I saw him like, oh, fuck his bike. Oh, he's out. He doesn't know what to do. What is he going to do? Um, so what'd you do? What happened? Yeah. So my free hub uh, was. Before, I forget what the name of the town was, but it was it was uh, before uh, Abiquiu Lake. Um, my my free hub had stopped catching reliably, um, coming down out of one of the last big passes in um, in Colorado, coming into New Mexico. And every now, like so, what when your free hub stops catching, you know, um, you just start spinning your legs really wildly, uh, like a little kid on a tricycle, and and then it would catch suddenly. Um, and so that was, that worked for like a day or the rest of the day and then set out, figured I could maybe make it to silver city, especially when I went uphill, it seemed to catch. So I thought, all right, well, 
you know, I can spin out on downhills all day. That's fine. I won't go as fast as I would if I was pedaling, but at least I can get uphills. And then that started going out, which robs you of any confidence. And I still had, you know, a few hundred miles to get to Silver City, which is the next en route bike shop. So around Lake Abiquiu, like, all right, I need to, maybe I can try to get this cog off. I'm not great with like free hub maintenance is not something that I've done before. Again, I'm a year and a half, two years into cycling in general. Right. So I'm, I'm picking up these, uh, these and, what, and did you know if it was even, cause it could be dirt, it could be worn out. If it's worn out, you can't fix it. So, I mean, you didn't even know what was going on with it. I assume. I had no idea. I figured it could be one of the two because when it rained, it seemed to catch a little bit better. So I thought, all right, maybe that's a sign it's dirt. Maybe I can get in there. Um, I couldn't get in there. Couldn't get the cog off, had no, no clue. So, um, I rode back once I decided, okay, I've got to get to Santa Fe. That's it's either uh hitchhike 30 miles, backtrack five miles to, to a good hitchhiking spot, hitchhike 30 ish miles into Santa Fe, or I'm screwed. If I get caught out somewhere between here, like there's no better option if I, if I keep moving. Um, so, you know, I just took the, uh, I guess you could call it conservative. I think it was the right approach hitchhiked and immediately like i i didn't know i'm i'm a guy on the side of the road who smells really bad looks kind of creepy uh you know got a i took the wheel off my bike to just demonstrate to anybody passing (laughs) like this is (laughs) this is a a problem um put my thumb out and within 10 minutes a guy stopped and was like well i'm not going all the way into santa fe but i'll get you at esperanza i think was the name of the town and um got there he dropped me off got to the side of the road, put my thumb out again. And within like two seconds, uh, this woman, Judith pulls up. She's like, where are you going? Uh, I've never, never picked up a hitchhiker before, but uh, something told <laughs> me to stop for you. It's like, what? wow, that's incredible. Uh, so I got to have, you know, conversations with these folks. It took about an hour or so to get into Santa Fe. Judith dropped me off right at the, at the bike shop. Bike shop guys go to work immediately. Um, it's dirty. It's like a $90 fix, but they had to, they had to like really wrench it to get it out. So I didn't feel as bad that I couldn't get the cog off. Um, it was just, you know, all of the crud from passing those, those mountain passes had, had just seized it up. Um, so, you know, two and a half hours in the bike shop chatting with those guys, chatting with the owner, uh, Mello Velo, I should give them a shout out in Santa Fe. Um, and I'm not usually this bold, but I walked over to the owner and I was like, look, I've got to ask, uh, because otherwise I'm going to be hitchhiking, which is totally cool. But any chance you could give me a ride back up to the start? He was like, man, I was going to offer anyway. I just, that just occurred to me too. So he threw the keys to, uh, one of his employees who I'd been chatting with, um, drove me back an hour up to Lake Abiquiu and I was off and was able to pick up I, the whole, the whole experience which I thought was going to knock me out for at least a day. I thought I was going to wake up and start from Santa Fe and have to hitchhike myself back. Um, I didn't know if I was going to need a new wheel build, you know, if it was worn out. Um, and uh, the whole thing took five and a half hours. So I was back by like five o'clock on, <laughs> on Lake Abiquiu where I, where I left. It was wild. It was absolutely wild to be back where I was with a cleaned up bike, um, you know, he fixed my, my shifting was off a little bit. 
hadn't gotten around to, to doing the adjustment. So he fixed the, he, he adjusted the derailleur. So I was in like prime condition, made it to Cuba and there just wasn't a good place to go beyond that. Um, so I was like, look, I got, I got over a hundred miles today. That's like 60 miles more than I thought I would get today. I'm going to do, I'm going to wake up at three o'clock or four o'clock and post. I forget when I actually got up. I think the intention was wake up at 3 a.m. I probably got up at 4 a.m. And then post, post a big day tomorrow. And I did that. And I ended up, you know, maybe um, like 12 hours behind David. And we had been riding kind of neck and neck for most, if not side by side for most of the race. Um, So it was really, it was really cool. And it, it, it was actually, you talk about, you know, a, a potentially miserable experience. You're getting knocked out of this race, turning into, it was like one of the best days of the tour. Cause I met people who were just completely willing to stop and help somebody out. Uh, they were so kind. I got to learn a little bit about them and, and who they are. And, um, it, it was just one of the, the best experiences of, of, uh, of the tour, uh, looking back on it. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm saying I'm glad I had a mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. If, if you had known how well that was going to go, it would be a very easy decision to make. It's like, okay, do I limp in 300 miles to ABQ or do I, you know, try to hitchhike and go through this whole process and I've never hitchhiked before. Uh, but like, yeah, it was, I was falling on social media. You're like, Oh fuck. Well, you didn't say fuck, but you were like, Oh no, what do I do? I don't know. You're like, okay, I'm hitchhiking. Okay. There's a bike shop. Okay. I'm back on route. And then I remember you even posted that next morning. You're like, all right, going to try to make up some miles today. And, uh, yeah, you just, you had, had a pretty clean run. It seems like after that. Yeah. Nothing else. I mean, I got, I had a, a sealant, I had a puncture literally at the sign at antelope wells i sprayed sealant all over all no over the way. ground at antelope wells yeah <laughs> um and apparently i caught like a huge thorn which i didn't realize it sealed right in i didn't realize it until i took it to the bike shop in philly and they were like did you know you have a big gnarly thorn in your tire no i did not uh so yeah it was a it was a clean run uh after that and uh i had a blast i was on my own for the last three or four days and um really I don't know, really enjoyed it. It was, it was a good, um, I'm glad, I'm glad I had the experience. It was a, it was a good way to end the tour, uh, for sure. With, um, I mean, the first part of the race, there was a, you know, we could talk a lot about peanut butter mud and crazy winter weather at the beginning. And I mean, we could talk a lot about, about that. It, what was the second half of the route? Like, because I, I mean, I talked to like Sofian and Manu and I mean, Sofian missed the mud, but then, uh, Adrian, Oh, that's right. You would have got the reroute around the mud, I guess. Everybody yeah. apart from Sofian did. And, and Manu who like tried to go through. Uh, no, yeah. it was Adrian. It was Adrian. Adrian okay. that, yeah. It was Adrian that got, yeah. Cause I got this whole, I put the pieces together once I talked to all three of them, but Sofian, I think, got through before it got too bad. Adrian got stuck in it. And then, oh yeah, Sofian was the one who called uh, Matthew Lee and um, and let him know. Yeah. Anyway, so what, what was the weather conditions? I mean, did you deal with wind, mud, rain? 
Yeah, it's uh, there was. I mean, there were some headwinds uh, or some, and there were, there was one section I can't remember exactly where it was with just like massive sidewinds that were <laughs> trying to push me into traffic. Uh, but the rain was the the big issue. I mean, so much of it on the reroute ended up being on pavement. Um, I didn't hit peanut butter mud again. Uh, I did pass by places in I don't know if it, it must have been New Mexico, where I would I would go by and see. Um, it was definitely peanut butter mud capable, like dirt, meaning like around Pie Town, especially, I think there is, there's possibility for that dirt, that surface to turn into peanut butter mud, because you could see where somebody had walked for a little bit. You would see like piles of dried up at this point, dirt, which were obviously like scraped off of their boots or their, or their tires. Um, and you would just, I would look at that and look at the tire tracks and think like, oh man, those poor guys. Um, and, uh, but I, it was fine. The only thing, you know, I had to deal with being wet and soaked, but you know, I'll take that over peanut butter mud any day. That wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you got lucky. That's one really interesting thing about the tour divide is how, because it's so long and people are out there at different times, like, you know, Sofian was complaining about the wind and may, you know, maybe you for you as a side wind or even a tail, you know, it's like, everybody's going to even experience that route in in different ways um and and then also you got like kind of the advantage of the reroute on some of that that's i guess that's one of the advantages of not being one of the first guys if there's a problem he's like yeah you guys figure it out and i'll take I'll <laughs> honestly take the really i mean like you know sofian had to break all of that new trail too up north and through he was the first one through all of that snow um and he still you know kicked all of our our asses which is just doubly incredible um but yeah then then there's stuff like you know whether sofian hit it or not the people that caught rain at the wrong time and in, in one of those spots in new mexico that still had the possibility for peanut butter mud it's a very they had a very different experience on that section it may have taken them two or three hours to get through a section that took me like 30 minutes to get through yeah yeah it's very interesting looking back um this was one of the questions we got from a listener what section are you excited or ready to go back and ride? And what section are you like not looking forward to ever riding again or didn't enjoy? <laughs> so I guess favorite and least favorite sections. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because like we were just talking about, I'd really love to go back and ride the passes in Canada and Montana when there's not snow all over them, when you can ride them. I would, I was, uh, just to like reminisce, I was watching Ryan Van Duzer's video of, of his, uh, GDMBR tour, that he did maybe last year. And as he was going over some of those passes, I was like, that looks beautiful. Wait, I think I know where that is. That's, uh, you know, that's the pass where I was walking through 18 inches of fresh snow and it, it looks gorgeous when it's just, it's like the middle of July or August. Um, and ditto, uh, you know, I hear the, the parts of the Gila forest in New Mexico and the other, the other, the original reroute for fire. I hear that that's just beautiful. I hear it's brutal. And so maybe, maybe I should be grateful that, that we didn't have to bike through it uh, after everything that we dealt with up North, but I really would love to go back and see that section again. Um, I think Wyoming and Idaho love you guys, but uh, I could do without those sections. Uh, there were like mosquitoes, swampy, Sandy, you know, there's sand in New Mexico, obviously too, but it's, it's beautiful and to be expected. I was the, the sections of Wyoming and Idaho, I could take a 
miss on next time, I think. It's okay. I think um, I think Sofian said Wyoming was his favorite, or is either Sofian or Adrian said that Wyoming was her favorite state. And so, you know, it all balances out. You yeah. Know? I didn't yeah, think the no. basin was bad. I had a blast in the basin, just sort of like being goofy on Instagram and and being in my own head. It's not particular it's kind of like this alien landscape. Um but I don't have any qualms with with the basin. It was sort of the the parts further north in Wyoming that that got on my nerves a little bit, but it's all good. It was it's all in, you know good fun. It's all part of the hey, you gotta go through not everybody's gonna like all the parts. You gotta go That's through right. the shitty parts too. Sorry, Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> if it went through Texas, it'd probably be part of the shitty part. Speaking of uh having fun on Instagram, you just reminded me of a uh one of your stories. It was like uh what? A section with no water? What do you call that? A thirst trap. <laughs> that was a good one. Did yeah. you come up with that all by yourself? You were out there like entertaining yourself? With I did. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're calorie deprived. You're a little, uh, you're covered in it, like white sunscreen. I like what was funny about it is that I looked like the, the dirtiest uh, non thirst trap possible uh so i thought like the combination of the pun and yeah, me looking the, like a total dirt bag yeah uh was just extremely amusing like those are the sort of things like that i would amuse myself with in the middle of the basin i i appreciated it i got a kick out of it so you got me with it um when you finished uh the tour divide you quoted hal russell and you said you know, something like, you know, how Russell says you've got to touch both lines and I'm now touching and you touch the wall, both lines. I'm curious, uh, obviously, well, maybe not obviously for all listeners, but for me, how Russell's been an inspirational figure. He's been on the podcast before. Um, how, how has his story impacted you? It, it must have if you quoted him there at the finish line. Yeah. Well, I mean, this goes back to bikes or death. I, you know, I was familiar with Hal before that, but I really, and, and saw when he passed away, saw all of the tributes on, on the Facebook group and, and got, got a real sense for how important he was to the community. Um, but I didn't really get to know him until after he passed away through, through that long interview that you had with him and was so appreciative that, you know, there was this time capsule of, I think it's like over two hours you did with him where, you know, I could get to know him just a little bit through that. Um, so thank you. Um, and yeah, that's, it, it's really, you know, that, that quote is all about doing the hard thing when nobody's watching. And, you know, in this day and age with, with uh, dot watching and Instagram, maybe it's a, it's a little different, but nobody was, I mean, every, you know, my friends, my family, would have been, I think, impressed, would have welcomed me. They, they wouldn't have said, don't ever talk to us again if I hadn't finished. If I had said, I need to tap out or if something had happened, you know, it's still a really hard thing that, you ha that you're doing and nobody is going to force you to get to the end or get to the end the right way. Like if I had, if I had wanted to bail out and ride the road, it still would have been a hard ride. Um, but it was really, it's really, it, it's really special to know that circumstances worked out. I was lucky enough and I was strong enough to touch both lines and do it the right way. Yeah. Well, to break down that quote, just for anybody who isn't familiar, what he's referring to is touching both lines. And, and, and he talks about, he, there's a book uh, that he wrote called touch both lines. If you don't know about it, but, um, 
he talks about, you know, what touch both lines means is, you know, in PE class when you run and I think everybody's done this where you got to run to one side and touch the line and run shuttle, back. And, shuttle races or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? shuttle races shuttle back and forth. And, you know, do you reach down and touch the line all the way or do you come up a little bit short, an inch short and you get close and you fudge it a little bit and then you run back and, and what he's really talking about is, and, and you touched on this too, it's, it's, and I think it's perfectly applicable right now in this age of dot watchers and, you know, conversations about racing ethically and being fair and all this stuff. What he is talking about is doing it the right way, doing it, you know, touching the line when nobody's looking. And that means, yeah, can you finish the tour divide and touch that line? But that line doesn't mean anything if you didn't touch all the lines along the way and do it the right way, right? Like you got to always be touching that line. You know, it's not getting to the end of the tour divide or being the first one to, you know, win that little shuffle race in your gym when fourth grade or whatever it's, it's finishing and know that you touched every single line along the way. And it's simple and it's profound. Yeah. And everybody has, to, I think you need to decide for yourself what, what those lines are and be true, be true to yourself as you know, I mean, they're, they're, there are some really clear ones. They're called the rules, right? And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to touch those lines and, and then figure out like, what does that, what does that mean along the way? Um, or what else does that mean along the way and, and do it, do it the right way. I mean, you could, you could follow all the rules and still, there were some incidents in, in whitefish from what I've heard where some racers left rooms, like pretty messed up and, you know, hotel owners were not super happy. And so they may have been following all the rules, but like the, that wasn't necessarily in my book, like that, if you're, if you're trashing the community along the way and doing it just for yourself, that's, um, you know, I don't know who those folks are. Maybe there's, there's a good story behind that or a good reason. I don't mean to, to sling, sling mud, but it sounds like some mud was slung around those rooms. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, I mean, there was pictures and stuff too. So I feel oh, like there. Yeah, I mean, there was pictures on the internet of like the condition of a room afterwards or so. And again, yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. And I don't know. Maybe those people like made restitution afterwards. Who the fuck knows? Who, who knows? You're but, exactly right. But it's good to like when when it, when it comes to like when I hear Hal talk, it's like I know for myself um, that I did it the right way. And that was that was really cool. That was it was it was cool to have that that quote on tap when I got down there because it definitely um nobody's nobody was there at the end there wasn't any you know there's not a there's not a i wouldn't have been on a podium but there's no you know it was a it's a lonely finish and you've got to i think that's really cool you you've got to celebrate yourself at the end of it um which which is really special and unique to uh that race if not if not our sport in a lot you know a lot of these grand departs uh finish similarly yeah yeah. And did you touch both lines? Can you feel good about that accomplishment at the, at the end of it? So, um, I, I can't imagine you don't feel good about your accomplishment. I mean, but I'm, I'm wondering because like you, you know, this was your first run. You're relatively new to cycling period. This was your first ultra endurance, you know, well, you did the trans, uh, you did some of the trans, the trans something. Virginia 550. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, yep. 
So that was technically your first, but this was, I mean, this is like next level. This is, you know, the coup de gras of bike pack endurance racing. It really is. I mean, especially in these conditions, you know, I'm talking to Sofian and, you know, it's like, what's the hardest race in the world? This is up there. This is one of them. Part of it is the length. You're riding through lots of different conditions and all this stuff. So I'm curious now that you finished, um, in 20 days and nine hours, I mean, you're only really like four or five days away from being like at the pointy end of a race. Have you given much thought to like, I don't know, stepping it up? It's, it's funny. Cause, uh, and maybe catch me a couple of months from now. And that I know that like that, that little like worm can get in your head. You're like, uh, you know, there's so many other races to run, but you do, you start to unpack. What would I, what would I do differently? assuming the same conditions, what would I do differently? Assuming I didn't know what conditions were out there. And there are a lot of, there's something tempting about retrying the course with more knowledge, um, of self and more knowledge of the course, uh, more knowledge of equipment. I think the of self is like, you know, I, if I had, maybe if I had slightly different equipment, I would have pushed myself, um, and not had to string like motel to motel. Um, I think my, I'm talking about my bivy in particular. I did not have a whole lot of confidence in snowy, cold, wet conditions, wet in particular, that my bivy would keep me dry. Um, so I would either bring a better bivy or probably just a, a tent. The other part of the equation is, you know, thinking back to our first episode, you took a, a day early on, uh, a snow day essentially early on, and then you had you know, a, a mechanical day, um, which, I mean, you could put those two together and like you subtract that from your time. Now you're like maybe at like 19 days, you know? And so, yeah, it makes you, it makes you wonder, I, I think if you were going to take another stab at it, how far you'd want to push that, you know? Yeah. There's something, I think it makes me want to push myself at some shorter races harder. <laughs> you know, I like, like I said at the top about Atlas mountain race, you know, I don't know that I'll be at the pointy end of that. Probably not, but I want to be more competitive in, in future races that I, that I get into. Um, you know, the tour divide is just such a, it's such a long commitment. Um, and there's so much more world to see and bikepacking is such a great way to see it that, um, I don't know that I'll, that I'll go back, but it is, it is tempting to try to, to redo something where you have that, that knowledge of course. Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this question then. What will you take away from this year's tour divide? I mean, that's a huge learning experience. Like what are you going to take away from this experience that you learned about yourself or your gear that's going to help you at, on future races or you hope that helps you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, one of the big ones was like setting expectations about what the next mile or what the next day is going to be. I think really, whether it's like being, being stoic or, or, uh, you know, <laughs> I said, I was going to practice mindfulness before I went out there. Don't really, didn't feel like I had time for that. I did not get into that practice, but I think being present and just, just riding is really important. It's probably, um, something I can, I can work on more. There were days where I would, I would look ahead and you have to plan in the future where you think you could get, but, you know, I would look at the terrain, um, and say, Oh, this, these last miles look like they're going to be easy. And inevitably every time I did that, or like this, this will be a big day. This should be easy. Um, 
I would set myself up for something frustrating. And so just plan for it to be hard and plan for yourself to push through it until you can't push anymore and then go to bed, I think is something that I'll, I'll take away from that. Um, there are also, you know, there, there are other tricks of like perspective that, that I used a lot, whether it was gratitude or it was like, uh, I've heard other racers do this as well, or you'd like develop a persona outside yourself. You just naturally start talking to yourself like a coach. Uh, so that you, <laughs> like there were times where I would feel really negative and then I would say, Nick, you're stronger than you think you are. Like all of these, all of these things that sound so cheesy when you're just sitting at home. I'm with you. Yeah, but I'm with you. That voice comes to, if you're, if you're open to having that voice, it's so helpful when you're out there. So those are the sort of things about, about myself that I think will, um, will prep me for it. I don't know what, what was the other question outside of self? Oh, it was- yeah, just like what you learned and took away from, you know, the Tour Divide that'll like help you and future racing, like what skill sets. I mean, you're answering the question. You're right on you're right on point. And while you think about it, I'll I'll just say that like I do I think I mean the way I look at it is I mean our our we are what we consume, we are what we eat, we are what we do every single day. Like those habits, you know, what we tell ourselves I'm big into that. I mean, I believe that a thousand percent. Like I need to, dude, even if I'm like, I'm going to a fucking podcast, like a big podcast, like or event or something, I'm like, I'll like try to hype myself up. Like, no, you deserve to be here. You know, you are good enough. Like you can do this. Like just trust yourself or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I'm with you. I think it's important. As you say that, um, yeah, it's, it's super important. And this, I, I didn't really think of myself as an athlete. I can be athletic but I thought of like my friend David as an athlete. And so when I went out there, I thought, you know, David and I could keep up a little bit. Uh, most of the time I thought he was being, you know, nice on the trainer when we'd, we'd, uh, mostly be in the same area, but it's Zwift. So you don't actually have to ride side by side, um, to be able to talk to each other. So it's like, all right, maybe I can keep up with him in this, in this environment. And then we would reach like Alp to Zwift at the end of hundred miles and he would shoot up it it's like, all right, well, that is what an athlete looks like. And the fact that I could keep up with him and that, some, uh, you know, many days I was coming in, a, in ahead of him, um, just, you know, it doesn't mean, I, I think we're, we have different strengths as writers. And it just reminded me like, look, in the long run, there are things that I can improve on. I think time off bike and just, and time on bike um, are things that I need to get better at. I need to ride a little longer, not necessarily faster. Um, if I want to get better, I need to like figure out a sleep system that I can jump off my bike immediately. Um, and, uh, and I think during shorter races, that'll hopefully become a little, a little easier. Um, but that was a huge, maybe, maybe this sounds silly, but you know, I, I came out of that feeling like, okay, <laughs> if I'm in shape, I can be an, an athlete. Like if I can keep up with David on, you know, he came in ahead of me at the end, I had a mechanical and he, he had, he posted some huge days, uh, and, and did went through the night um, through silver city, which was really amazing. He is still, he is an incredible athlete and is probably a better athlete than I am. But, um, that was a, to be able to keep up with him at all. And, and, um, just reminded me that I could be a little harsh on myself when it comes to what I'm capable of. And that there are different, uh, that's, that's the great thing about bike packing is that there, there are different 
aspects to your athleticism that are going to be an advantage depending on the weather, depending on the conditions, depending on the race itself. Um, and that's what makes bikepacking, I think, a really exciting sport because people can come at it from different disciplines um, and they can come at it with different types of athleticism um, and, you you know, and different different ages uh, yeah. as it's well. It's a great and, equalizer. It's a great equalizer for sure. So that was a huge, that was a big takeaway for me. That was, um, the other, the other thing that I, I like about, I I agree with what you're saying, but another perspective that I like about bikepacking is the solo self-supported aspect of it, because while in this moment you may want to like, and it's human nature to sometimes downplay our accomplishments, but like, you're like, you, you can't, you're like, no, I did that. I did keep up with David. I did do the tour divide. I did wake up at four. You know, like you did touch both lines. And when you do that, because it is solo and it's not a team or it's not a whatever, it's like, you can't, um, you can't do what at least I do, which is like, I don't know, like I could be negative. Like my self-talk cannot always be the best, but like if you do the tour divide and you do the damn thing, you're like, well, I guess I did that. Like I have to acknowledge that I did that. And that, I think that piece of information that you know about yourself, that you can be that resilient, you can be that tough. I don't know, man. That's like one of the, for me, it has been one of the most profound feelings and perspectives that I have in my life. It's like, fuck, I am capable. I am a, I'm a capable person. If I choose to tap into it, it's there, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think what's awesome about the whole community, you know, coming into it in the past year and a half is that, you know, I mean, there are people, it's not a monolith. There are different people in the community, but by and large people are, it it is not the sort of thing they're like, you know, have you even done a century, bro? Uh, they're, everybody's marker of what is a big accomplishment to themselves. If it's like doing an overnighter, if it's doing their first 50 mile ride, um, you know, this is a community that can get really competitive at the, at the pointy end, but also is very much about like, Hey, you just did a thing that was really big for you. That's awesome. And, and for that's, you know, changed for me over, over time. My first overnighter a year and a half ago was like, 55 miles out to French Creek state park with some friends and 50 miles, 55 miles back. And it felt huge that I carried everything on my bike. Uh, and, uh, that is huge. It is huge. It is. And that's the thing. It never stops being huge. If you haven't done it before, um, or if you have, and you're doing it in a different way, you're doing it in the rain or whatever it is, whatever is meaningful to, or you're doing it, but you had a shitty day and you're pushing through it anyway. Um, the community is really good about, I think, uh, if people say it was a big deal for them, cheering them on and, and supporting yeah. them in it, which, which is really I cool. So. so like the tour divide yeah. is, is huge and, and no one will ever take that away from me that I get to be a finisher. Um, and that I, I feel really good about my first run. Um, but yeah, I love that. Like people who are coming in like a week or two weeks after still had, I mean, they had, they had a longer time out there. They were exposed to more potential, crazy weather and, and may have had a tougher time. in, in some ways they had a, a different experience, not a, a worse experience. Right. I, I just, I love that about the community. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It, it seems that we do a fairly good job of celebrating. We're all on a journey, man. It's just, it's whatever step you start at, but it's, it's, you can't, I don't know like how you could even 
because we all start at the beginning. We all had that first trip. We all like sat in our living room and tried to figure out how to put all this stuff on our bike and overpacked and figure out, you know, like we've all been through that process to where I don't know how you could not have, I don't know, maybe we're just like, it's so cool. We get excited when other people are into it too. I do. I do and I'm like, yeah, you found it. You unlocked it. Congratulations. Next level achieved. Now, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. And I think it is that freedom of it, that simple thing of being able to put everything you need on your bike to survive in the elements, to carry your own gear, to support yourself with food and water and your own physical ability and your mental ability to do something hard. Like all of those things, just a simple overnighter can do all of that for you. And then from there, it's just exponential. It's like, okay, well, how far do you want to push it? Do you want to just do overnighters? Do you want to go do the Tour Divide or anything in between? And it's all available to you. And it's really just like once you unlock, oh, I can do this, then it really unlocks anything. And it's a matter of how far you want to push it. Well, I got to go pick up my daughter. Yeah, I hope are you you're not I hope you're not late. <laughs> we really we really got talking. Uh no, I I just wanted to have time for us to be able to chat to be honest with you. Um she gets like I have 30 minutes. She's about 20 minutes away and I don't want to be the last dad there like Oh, for sure. I never want to be the, you know, the one that's like picking up their kid late. So, no, I, 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 I plan for us to hopefully be able to, you know, be a little chatty. And last time you were all like antsy to get off the phone and go like race the divide. It was quite rude. Yeah, no, this that was, that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> was even, yeah, uh, I was antsy to go eat pizza. I wasn't sure if yeah. I was going to race the divide, but you, yeah. Uh, well, I, no, I felt bad because I, I felt like when we talked the first time, I... I was like wanting it to be briefer because like just wanting to be super respectful of the fact that you were in a race. I might be at home and whatever, but you were in race mode. And so I was trying to be conscious of that. And I just, I don't know. I'm not very good at being short. Brevity is not my strength. You and me both. And you caught me on, on like the, the day to catch me for sure. Uh, when I was questioning everything, uh, so that the timing worked out really well and I'm glad it did. Uh, and thanks for having me back on. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if it made it in the podcast earlier, if it will make it in the podcast, but I was joking. Like, I feel like the most overexposed 22nd place finisher, uh, in, in, uh, bikes or death history here. Uh, so, but it's, it's been a blast. I feel like we really ran the gamut here. And, uh, yeah, I'll just really appreciate the chance to re relive some of these, uh, memories. Man, dude, I, I appreciate you, uh, so much. And I'll tell you, like after, you know, we got off the, like that night when we got done chatting, I called my friend and I was like, you know, like, how'd it go? I'm like, great. I was like, I like that guy. And, and I said this, I'm like, the interesting thing is about podcasting, especially when you don't know somebody, there's not a soundbite I can listen to or another podcast you've done to like research you or anything like this. I mean, it really is just like a crapshoot. I don't know if you're going to be tired <laughs> and strung out or if you're going to be like, you know, I, and so like, for me, I kind of get a thrill out of that. It's like, I like kind of going into that like unknown conversation and you're going to have to like juggle. But I told my friend, I'm like, man, he was like so articulate. He was like, he, he, he was like, I don't know. You felt very present. And I wasn't the only one who noticed that. I actually had, I meant to tell you this, but people like messaged me like, man, he was like really engaging. And uh, yeah, you, you like had your shit together, you know? 
Well, you didn't seem all like you didn't seem like you were in the middle of the hardest, you know, physical endurance challenge that some people will ever do in their life. Next time, yeah, I'll call you from the the top of uh, Richmond Pass. <laughs> yeah, man. I'll probably I was sound very to- different. I wanted you to be crying. I wanted, you know, you to be in shambles and like questioning your life decisions, you know. No. Yeah, so I'll I'll uh maybe like we can check in on the Atlas Mountain Race. I hear I hear that that might put me in that mode. Uh Yeah. From- <laughs> that would be funny. Maybe what you are is you're the guy that I talk to in the race. Well, I <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to be the guy in the middle of the race, but I hope, you know, I'm sure as you have in the past, you'll, you'll bring in other voices that are probably more important to hear from down the road as well. Uh, I don't know about more important. I disagree with that, (laughs) but I do think, I do think the variety and like, yeah, showcasing as many voices as possible is, is important. And you should come race the East Texas showdown because it's super short (laughs) and I can give you a hug. I would love that, man. Yeah, I, right, I will. Uh, I'll check out flights. Maybe that's my fall. Uh, maybe I'll do it well, at, at like a touring uh, pace. It's gonna be uh, spring, so it'll be oh, okay. April. We're gonna post the dates later. We haven't even announced them yet, so. But it's gonna be in the spring. Sweet. I would love to make it down there. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for the chat, man, and congrats on being the twenty-second place finisher <laughs> on the 2022 tour divide that's pretty sweet it's pretty special thanks patrick good good chatting with you again all right buddy take care we'll talk to you later take care man all right everybody that is it for today's episode thank you for joining nick and i as we recap his 2022 tour divide and uh if you'd like to check out the podcast that nick did I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's called Local Nation, and I checked out the first episode, and it's very well done. So we got to thank Nick for being an excellent guest, an excellent podcaster, and having the microphone and everything. So we had some really good audio and everything this week. So if you want to check out Nick's podcast and you want to learn more about your local nation, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and you can hear more from Nick. All right. Well, that is it for today's episode. Next week, I'm going to be talking with a gentleman that I can't pronounce his name. It could be Alice, Alice, and I'm going to talk to him next week. He was the winner of the Bike Nonstop US race that just concluded. And to be honest, this is a race that is uh, a little bit unknown to me. I guess it was started back a few years ago, and it essentially is across America, but they're utilizing as much rails to trails and gravel and off-payment options as possible, which really sounds exciting. So I'm super interested to talk to him and hear all about this route and this race, and that's coming up next week. Now, before... We wrap up today's episode. I'm going to try something a little bit new today. I was recently provided a scripture that I felt was particularly relevant. It's Deuteronomy 23:13. And the King James version of the Bible has it like this. And thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad. Thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back, and cover that which cometh from thee. Now, 
if you don't speak in Bible, uh, let's get a translation from the New International Version of the Bible. And it says, as part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. Wise, wise words from the Bible. Deuteronomy 23.13. Coming in hot with some leave no trace principles. So when you are in the outdoors, remember, carry an implement. Turn around and cover up that which cometh from thee. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here. It is an absolute pleasure. And I will see you next week. But until then, thou mustn't forget to rideth your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.